Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings the research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. In previous episodes of our podcast, we have explored different topics covered in the latest youth knowledge book on young people, social inclusion and digitalization. In this episode, we would like to focus on another topic you can find in the knowledge book, digitalization and social inclusion of youth with disabilities. This topic is explored in two articles, which you can find in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book. Today we are having two authors of these chapters, Raman Banari, who wrote an article in which he presents the challenges for youth with disabilities related to accessible technology and provides an insight into how they can benefit from ICT in order to be included in participatory processes, education and the labour market. And Yudit Gombash, who is a co-author of the article on digitalization for the empowerment of individuals with visual impairments or blindness. My name is Dariusz Grzemny and together with Lana Pasic from the EU Council of Europe Youth Partnership, we would like to invite you to join us in this episode. Today we are speaking with Raman Banari and Yudit Gombas about two of their chapters in Youth Knowledge Book on Social Inclusion, Digitalization and Young People. The topic of uh, today's podcast is uh, digitalization and ICT uh, as a support for young people with disabilities. So we will start with Roman, who will tell us about his chapter in the book. This is chapter three on digitalization and ICT as a guarantee for the social inclusion of young people with disabilities. Okay, thanks, Lana. For a start, I would like to say that I choose this topic in order to make some bridges connection with young with disability. And first of all, also, I tend to create connection with uh, this chapter between young people, civil society and governmental structure in order to ensure that uh, all their strategies and actions are connected to young people with disability in order to ensure that uh, young people with disability is not left behind. So ensuring that EU standards and national requirements related to social inclusion of young people are respected. So giving some insights on how to ensure that young people with disability have to be included in youth actions related to youth participation in decision-making process and how governmental structure could ensure that youth with disability with different forms of disability, hearing or visual, uh, could uh, effectively participate in participation processes. Uh, also, I tend to make some connection with uh, social inclusion uh, standards related to smart cities and how this could help in social inclusion and participation of young people in the development of our society. As young people at the present do not play so crucial roles in society as they are excluded or discriminated due to the lack of information accessible for them or lack of infrastructure. So due to digitalization and over 
forms of accessibility of information or uh, infrastructure, we will ensure that young people are uh, engaged actively in these forms of participation. Thank you, Roman. And in your chapter, you cover different groups uh, of uh, young people and different types of disabilities uh, and the tools and uh, also, uh, you identify uh, some of the tools which are designed uh, for, for youth with disabilities. On the other hand, Judith uh, has uh, taken a very particular approach for her chapter with her colleagues, Maria Magdalena Flamich and Maria Rita Hoffman, and they explored particularly digitalization for the empowerment of individuals uh, with visual impairment and blindness. Um, so, Judith, uh, what is it that you explore in your chapter and uh, how does technology help uh, young people, but also not only young people uh, with visual impairments? Yeah, to share our personal background with you, it's important to say that I am blind. Um, Maria, my colleague, she's also blind, and uh, Maria Rita Hoffman, she's a low vision person. And actually, you know, we experience in all our life this change. Let me tell you examples, then it's easier to understand. Uh, when I started my education, I only had a possibility to use Braille uh, to do all the reading and writing in um, my school years. And I was around 18 when I got my first laptop. Already, you can imagine what a huge change it was. I could, for example, simply write my tests on the computer and give them on a, on a pen drive to my teachers. So, you know, it meant a lot. Before that, we didn't have, let's say, a language which we could both use. So I, I couldn't uh, read or write, um, you know, normal print. My teachers couldn't read or write Braille. So that was tough. So everything, like nowadays, what we experience is that it's much, much, much easier to communicate thanks to digitalization. And another very important thing is that it's just uncomparable what an amount of information blind and low vision people can get a hold of thanks to the internet, thanks to uh, the uh, possibility of scanning materials, so, like before that, we only had, in the good old days, you know, audio tapes with uh, audio books or Braille books, but it was just way much less information. So actually, the reason why we chose this topic and we wanted to give, we, we wanted to put together a very practical chapter to show our audience in what ways digitalization can help blind and low vision people, uh, how we are able to use computers or smart devices, and so the technology that enables us to, to be more proficient in our studies, in work, in free time activities, and so on. You, did, you quote in the end of your article, uh... Uh, director of the IBM National Support Center for Persons with Disabilities, who said that for most people, technology makes things easier. And for people with disabilities, technology makes things possible. So if you can say a, a few words, 
What's made possible for people with disabilities thanks to technology, thanks to, to ICT, or in practical terms, how ICT, how technology, how digitalization is actually supporting the daily routine or, or, or daily tasks, basically your life, the life of people with disabilities? Wow, I should mention lots of things. I couldn't be chatting with you now without a screen reader um, and an accessible web page. So, you know, it's really important that I not only have a screen reader, but also this page is accessible. I can read the buttons well, I can use them well. Or I can do my shopping, I can read all the full list of ingredients of a product if I'm interested. You know, earlier I just went to the shop, tried to find a shop assistant, told the person what I need, but I had to be much more focused. It had to be a very quick process, you know, because the shop assistants are super busy. So now I can use a lot of time to read through all the things that I'm interested in if uh, the web page, of course, is accessible. Or I can simply listen to a audiobook on my smartphone when I'm sitting on the train or on the public transport. So lots of things are possible. And there's one thing I would love to stress is that we do need Braille. I'm really for using Braille. And there are fantastic ways of comparing, let me say, old technology and new technology. So there are devices called a refreshable uh, braille display that you can connect to your computer. So you can simply read in braille what can be seen on the screen. And this is very important because, you know, um, blind students, low vision students also need to learn correct spelling, also need to learn what a text looks like, for example. And these things are way easier with a Braille display. So when you listen to an audio text, you just can't learn spelling. So, you know, I think what is very important today or these days is to see that uh, that we should um, find a good balance between digitalization and, and all the new technology and how to combine it well and efficiently with all technology. But really, I could tell you a super long list of the things that it helps with. For example, with my phone, I can check what banknotes I have in my wallet. Hungarian foreigns are all the same size, so there's no other way for me to recognize them. Or I can check colors with my smartphone. So really lots and lots of things. That's very interesting because usually when we read or hear about people or young people with disabilities, when it comes to their contact with uh, digital technologies, there's a lot of focus on what challenges they are facing. And probably there's a lot of challenges. And actually, when we turn upside down what you just actually said, this would be the challenges that the page is not accessible, that you cannot follow, that you cannot read and so on. So I think that these are, these are a lot of challenges. There's a lot of standards that could be applied when it comes to making uh, technology accessible. How we actually know about them, if we are a youth organization, if we are a group of young people and we want to involve young people, uh, how can we know about these standards? So Roman, what we actually should start with as, let's say, youth organization, when we really want to involve young people with disabilities in our activities or give them the 
the space for participation and involve young people, hearing the voice of young people with disabilities. Okay, thanks, Derek. Uh, in fact, uh, we can start uh, from the, our environment, where we can see without these standards, uh, without knowing about uh, this. Uh, so we can see accessibility of our uh, offices, uh, of our uh, spaces where we tend to organize some activities. Uh, even uh, our websites could be uh, observed uh, that they are accessible or not accessible for who's with disability. So having some uh, filters for accessibility uh, with, uh, for people with disabilities and so on. But uh, when it's coming to more concrete uh, standards, uh, you can use ICO standards which regulate all steps or uh, how we can uh, use one or another tools for people with disabilities. Or some another uh, General principles uh, of accessibility are uh, developed by UN, uh, where we have the possibility to use this seven uh, principle of accessibility related to youth with disability. But more effectively, I suppose Judith will support uh, my idea. Uh, we have to involve uh, people with disability in developing of these uh, concrete uh, apps or uh, different uh, tools for people with disability because uh, yeah, we are developers but without knowing exactly how people with disability feel this, how they use this in their daily life, without this we will not uh, prepare any tools which are uh, individualized for each person in part. If I may add some... Yeah, I absolutely, I fully uh, agree with Roman that we need to ask persons with disabilities. And you may say as an NGO, come on, but I don't know any blind developers who could give me advice. I would say no worries about that because I'm pretty sure in each country there's... Uh, at least one big organization, but I'm pretty sure in most countries there are many big organizations of people with disabilities. In Hungary, I would say it's the Federation for the Blind and Visually Impaired, if we just stay with uh, people with visual impairments. But all other bigger disability groups have uh, these uh, uh, organizations supporting them, and they can give you practical advice on who to turn to, so I don't think that, you know, all the NGOs should start trying to learn all these standards. On the other hand, it would be really cool to have uh, web developers who are into these standards and who are aware of these standards. Unfortunately, my experience is that we, we just don't have many of them. So I believe it, it does help a lot if you... Uh, as an NGO, for example, try to find uh, a bigger disability organization who you can turn to. And another thing is uh, all these support pages are really important. So, for example, if you want to use, I don't know, Zoom in your activities or, or um, any other platform, video conferencing platform, before you decide, you can either ask a person with a disability or you can check their support sites to see to what extent uh, those are um, disability friendly pages. 
if I may to add. For example, after this chapter, we as National Youth Council decide to change our web page in order to make this accessible according to what I presented in this chapter. So we find the money for this changing and we made this accessibility standards for people with disability, different kind of accessibility standards. But here I wanted to point out, yeah, we sometimes know uh, how to deal with this and how to engage uh, our community in order to make some information accessible. But uh, unfortunately, in case of civil society, we have uh, a lot of problems uh, related to accessibility. Because uh, for uh, all changing or adaptation of uh, our web page or uh, even more offices and so on, uh, we need some resources. Without having support uh, from diverse donors uh, or uh, government, we will not be able to uh, ensure this uh, in practical. So uh, for this, uh, we tend to have good collaboration with all actors who are interested in this in order to ensure that we are able to make minimal accessibility standards in our activities. But without supports, I'm not sure if uh, civil society will be able to conduct and to ensure that uh, they are fully accessible for all. Just one more thought. Um, earlier, Darek, you, you referred to, perhaps you said side effects or negative things. Now, one super big obstacle, I would say, is, uh, as also Roman mentioned, the price of things. So lots of accessible devices are, are super expensive. The refreshable bread displays that I mentioned before are so, so expensive at least with Hungarian standards, for example, that very, very few people have them in Hungary. And it's also a problem that often uh, developers charge much higher prices if you ask them to develop an accessible web page, which, you know, should be a basic um, expectation to have your uh, pages accessible. I mean, the page that you develop. So, yeah, there's a lot to do uh, finance-wise. Yeah, this was actually one of my points I wanted to ask you, that this is probably one of the points that discourages a lot of smaller organizations that maybe do not have enough resources to standardize or to keep up with the standards uh, that are available or in order to make the website uh, accessible. But I quite like what you said at the beginning, that maybe... It's not important to start with the big things. It's maybe important to start with something that you are able to start with. Eh? And one of the things that doesn't cost anything is actually asking people with disabilities what they would need, what would make their life easier, or how it would make it possible for them to be included in what they are doing. I think this is maybe some kind of advice for policymakers, for people who are establishing programs that are supporting or financing youth organizations to be able to actually support organizations in making things possible for people with disabilities or making their websites or any material that they are producing online accessible for people with disabilities. I think there is a lot good initiatives that are open source, that are free as well, that you can use. Probably they are not so good, 
but this is also a good start maybe for youth organizations. I think as uh, technology is uh, fast changing and developing and there's so many tools uh, and uh, artificial intelligence is also developing and supporting us kind of in using these tools. But the big moment as well is advocacy and uh, kind of demands uh, for uh, things to be accessible. Uh, at the Youth Partnership, we have seen uh, through our conversations with young people as well, um, these uh, kind of questions regarding the materials that we produce. And these podcasts, for example, are just one of the ways uh, in which we try to make our publication and our research closer to different groups of young people. And uh, it is uh, also a question of uh, not only accessibility in terms of hearing things now instead of reading the book, but also presenting materials in different languages, using subtitles for some of our videos. And I think in the youth sector now it's quite uh, expected uh, to use transcripts, uh, for example, for the videos and for podcasts instead of just producing the materials only in uh, one form or one format. Yeah, I think it's very important what you are now saying. And I believe we just cannot stress enough that, you know, when you hear the, the word accessibility, most people immediately think of wheelchairs and blind people. And we mustn't forget that accessibility is important for everyone. So, I mean, you may be, I don't know, coming from any country of the world that say you are moving to Germany but your standard of German is not high enough yet then for example a document or a website in easy language is important for you helps you a lot supports your daily life I mean you know it's not that easy language is only important for people who have I don't know uh, learning difficulties for example or, or any other uh, reading difficulty. So like, or I don't know, accessibility of in infrastructure is important for you if you have a baby in a pushchair. So it's like accessibility means way more than access for people with disabilities to digitalization or to the infrastructure. We need uh, once again resources and uh, those who have knowledge how to make, uh, for example, the easy to read uh, materials uh, for uh, people with disability, with mental. Uh, so here is another problem in case of uh, civil society representative who do not have so much money for uh, this. Is, uh, yeah, we are interested to promote these accessibility standards, but uh, as usually we don't have the knowledge and the expertise how to do this and uh, in case we do not have money for uh, experts we will not provide this and this is a problem of uh, civil society and uh, my request is uh, to engage more uh, governments uh, or other state institutions who will contribute to the accessibility of youth sector yeah i think the resources are important but i think what's very important is also the change of mind or change a little bit of perspective because I think that, uh, that uh, sometimes if we really want to include people with disabilities in our activities or any activities of any organization or institution and then we are applying for funds, very often we don't think that we can actually apply for funds to make things accessible. And I think that this is like this first 
the way of thinking or how you organize your activity. I mean, always to think about possibility of including the request for funds that actually would make things accessible for people with disabilities. And I think that this is the starting point. Whether they will be granted or not, it's another issue. But I think thinking and putting it forward is the first step that you actually can do, uh, which I think is important. Thank you all for your contribution. And just to remind our listeners... You can find the articles we have been talking about in chapters 3 and 4 of the Youth Knowledge Book on Young People, Social Inclusion and Digitalization. Thank you for listening.